that's our prayer today, that throughout this service, throughout our lives, that you would get the glory. Lord, let us hear from you today as Matt speaks. Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts. Lord, change us. It's in the put that together. That was pretty good, wasn't it? He's a gifted guy. Uh, I'm Matt Lewis. I'm one of the pastors here at Canvas Community Church. And um, so we are starting a new series. And uh, there's, I'm excited about it. I'm also feeling a little challenged. So I've had the privilege in the last 20 years of running over a thousand pastors through the material we're going we're gonna to work with you on. And we, we've run it in North America, we've run it in Asia, we've run it in Africa. I mean, we've literally run it all over the world. Um, African-American pastors, Caucasian pastors, Hispanic pastors, urban, rural, uh, very liturgical, very independent, very charismatic. I mean, all across the board. And I've just watched thousands of pastors renewed and rejuvenated as they engaged, as they actually practiced the kinds of things we're going to talk about. That's the exciting part for me. The challenging part for me is that everything I say will mean nothing to you if you don't actually engage. It'd be kind of like if I, if I give lectures on how to ski. I can do that 12 times, but until you get on skis, you don't get it. And I know that uh, Ryan uh, asked you to do homework. And just my uh, individual kind of survey this morning as people were walking in, like, oh, yeah, we were supposed to bring that, weren't we? Um, I hope you did pick up the inventory. You can take it after service, but after service, you're going to hear what I have to say, and that's going to skew what you write, and your results aren't going to be really good. We're not going to collect your homework, fear not, um, but it will help you identify uh, what what spiritual type you are. We're, we're relying on some material that's put together by a, an author, Urban Holmes, Episcopal priest, theologian, um, professor, uh, who did, his, his study was in church history, and he wrote on the history of Christian spirituality, and as he looked over the last 2,000 years of Christian history across continents, across different cultures, he was able to identify a, a variety of spiritual types uh, that emerged, that God has used to further his kingdom. And so we want to introduce you to those and actually invite you to maybe even participate in some. And it's my job today to kind of unpack that. We're using a metaphor of musical stations, why we have our 
our uh, boombox back here. We're going to change stations each week. Uh, this week, I'm kind of talking about the whole boombox. Um, and I, I might liken this whole series to almost like a music appreciation period. Um, although in this context, it's kind of a spiritual type, spiritual stations appreciation. Last week, uh, Pastor Ryan made the, the comment that as a pastor, if we walk away from this with an appreciation and a respect for our brothers and sisters who approach God differently, conceive of God differently, and I'm not saying outside biblical norms, everything we talk about is going to be deeply rooted in the Bible, deeply rooted in scriptures. The problem is that many of us tend to focus in on a few scriptures. <laughs> And a few ways of, of defining certain scriptures, we're going to be deeply biblical, uh, rooted in the scriptures, rooted in the things of God. Uh, everything we talk about will have been practiced for 2,000 years in the church, the great success in the kingdom of God. So if you can walk away uh, with appreciation, maybe we'll be a little less judgmental. Because all of us, here's what happens, folks. We encounter God in a profound way. And so we conclude that this is the way you encounter God in profound ways. And so therefore, I want you to encounter God the way I encountered God so you can experience the profoundness of God. Oh, that's great. Until we go to, oh, and this is the way to encounter God. So I agree with Ryan. If we can walk away with appreciation of our brothers and sisters not being judgmental, That'll be great. I have a second goal, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But let me tell you a story. I don't know, 15 years ago, I was at the Leadership Summit. I was a younger pastor, maybe 20 years ago. And my bishop at the time, had he had invited all of us to go. He had paid for us to go. We sat with him. He was in his 70s. And this was at the, at the time when Hillsong was just becoming a thing in Christianity. They were... They were really stepping into the musical scene of Christianity and Darlene Check. I think that's how you pronounce it, although it's not phonetically correct, if you've ever seen her name. Um, she got up and they interviewed her, and, and she was really not well known in, in Christian circles. You know, she is now Shout to the Lord was one of her big songs at the time. And when they interviewed her for a few minutes, uh, she was so humble, you could tell that she really did not like talking about herself. And then they asked her to do one worship song, kind of introduce the idea, because we were going to do a worship night that evening, and she wanted people to come. We wanted people to come. And so during this one song, God so profoundly impacted me. Literally, I was in the midst of church planting, and, and my whole conception of what God was calling me to do with the church was rearranged. My vision, mission, in few minutes, God transformed. He didn't, he didn't radically change it, but, but he, he gave a new impetus to it. And I leaned over to my bishop, who was in his 70s at, at the end. I said, oh, wasn't that just amazingly profound? And as only a wise 70-plus-year-old bishop can do, he looked at me and said, well, actually, I didn't get anything from it. And then he said, but I know this generation does. And so we need to do it. That's what we're talking about here, folks. Ways that people can experience God. Uh, let me give another example if I can. So if, 
you uh, were introduced someone to Jesus, they were fairly new in the faith, um, might you encourage them to do this? So, on a daily basis, try to read your Bible. Is that a good idea? I mean, is that a good thing? I would guess that in our, in our context, that encouraging someone new to the faith, even someone long-standing in the faith who are drifting, say, you know, how about you read your Bible? I, I recommend it all the time. Please, with what I'm going to say now, don't hear me say anything other than this is a great recommendation. But do you realize how culturally constrained that really is? I mean, it really is. First of all, let's take each word. Read your Bible. Read. Do you realize that's the privilege of the privilege? For two-thirds of our history as a Christian, the vast majority of Christians of history, the vast majority of Christians couldn't read. In fact, even in the 1800s, in England, 40% of men, adult males, were illiterate, and 60% of women were illiterate. 2023, today, in North America, well, actually in the U.S., 21% of adults in the U.S. are illiterate. So if I go to someone, 21% of the people who might, now probably not in this church. Probably not. But if I say to them, oh, okay, you've met the Lord, praise God, what I need you to do is read your Bible. They're going to go, oh, okay. And they have no clue how to read. Or how about the word your? Read your Bible. Uh, Christians today in America, we have an average of 4.6 Bibles at home. But you do realize, again, for the majority of the history of the church, prior to the Gutenberg Press in 1430-something, thank you, there, I always knew there was like one literalist that could, you know, this historian could quote it. That's, I, I love it. That's why I don't give the actual number unless I'm positive of it, because otherwise I'd say 1433 and they'd say 1436. But people didn't have Bibles. Maybe your monastery did. Maybe your church did. Maybe the rich ruler did. Why? Because to have a Bible, someone had to take the entire 66 books of the Bible and had to get a, enough parchment from, from a medieval staples and copy word for word. I mean, how many of you actually read your Bible in a year? We're talking about copying the whole thing. So when we say your Bible, let's... That's a gift of the privilege. And I thank God, even the word Bible, read your Bible. You do realize, so this country has been around, what, a little under 250 years? For 400 years of the church, we were not solidified on which books were in the Bible. There was general recognition. There was, I mean... As early as the New Testament writing, Paul's letters were already recognized as Scripture, which is amazing. These letters were written all over the world, and people were dead. They said, wow, they're so powerful. They just recognized as something special. They were being brought together. But, but again, read your Bible is important, but it's culturally constrained. Now, what is absolutely critical is that you engage with the Word of God. Because the Word of God will not return void. And every culture, every age, every era engaged with the Word of God. They just didn't all do it by reading it. Uh, there are lots of ways that God has 
profoundly changed people with his word, has met with his people through his word, other than sitting alone and reading it. And so we want to explore that. Because, you know, just maybe, just maybe, God has a gem for you in there. Just maybe. So, if we can appreciate, that's awesome. But I have a second goal. As much as I want you to walk away appreciating the various ways, one of the things that I found in my working with literally thousands of pastors in all cultures, all, all across the world, all contexts, is that, well, the research says this. By the time you're about 15 years old in the Lord, the, the means of grace, the disciplines, the act, activities you do for God to transform you are likely to have become mundane. It's like walking, the first time you walk to the house of God and you peer in the window and you go, <gasps> and after 15 years of peering in the same window, you go, oh yeah. What I've watched with pastors, and I know that there are a lot of spiritually mature people here who've been walking at this for 15 or more years, if I take you by the hand and I lead you around to the side of the house and you look into a window you've never looked in before, you're going to go, <gasps> and the challenge is that eight of your brethren are already looking in that window and you had no clue. And maybe you can take their hand and walk them back to your window and go, <gasps> because God, God is so much bigger. Now, if you are new to the faith, if you are... Uh, less than 15 years old in the Lord, uh, the inventory you took, its goal is to help you identify what your spiritual preference is, what station you like to listen to, what, what station you tune into God through. And just like music, you know, if, if you like rock music, there's a lot of different kinds of rock music. If you like classical, there's lots of different kinds of classical, but it's a genre. If you like country western, well, there's really only one song done a hundred different ways, but Sorry, Ryan. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Can I hear it? Get off the stage, buddy. So here's another illustration. Um, when I was younger, I used to do P90X. Anyone familiar with P90X? Yeah, I mean, I was really into it. And then I got a little older and I started doing P45 Flash. And now I'm hopeful for P22 Dash, you know? Um, the whole concept behind it was, was muscle confusion. The premise for the program is your body adapts to whatever you do, and in adapting to whatever it does, it grows stronger in that, but other areas begin to atrophy. So as an example, um, in my younger years, I was a rock climber, mountain climber. I had the privilege of climbing Denali, largest mountain in the lower 48. I'm sorry in North America, because it's in the upper 50. Um, and I trained like you wouldn't believe. I mean, to climb Denali, it's about two to three weeks. You've got to carry a 60-pound pack and pull a 60-pound sled. At times, you're going up 60-degree ice and half the oxygen in temperatures that get to about 30 below. So it takes a lot of training. And I, I used to walk, you know, a couple hundred stairs a day with a big 80-pound pack and weights on my ankles to try to get in shape. And someone told me I had to lift, and so I started lifting. And when I went to the gym, they had these really cool machines. You ever see those machines? They really work because they isolate a muscle. 
And you pump that out, and it forces that muscle to fatigue and get really big. And then I went out on a practice climb. I was doing Rainier in the winter, and we had a couple days to climatize. And so they're walking us. It was with a guide. He was walking us through this ice climbing. And so you had to take ice axes and put them over your head and crampons and kick in and climb up and you have your rope. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll do this. And by the time I get to the top, as they let me down, my arms were just screaming. There was this dull ache. It hurt. So when I went home, I asked my doctor about it. I said, it just hurts. He said, what have you been doing? I told him, he said, you need to go to the PT guy. And every PT person in the room already knows what happened. That I made these certain muscles so strong without strengthening the stabilizing muscles that my strong muscles actually ripped my stabilizing muscles. Do you ever meet someone who knows their Bible so well that they beat people over the head with it? They're, they got some strong muscles, but there's some stabilizing muscles they need to work on. You hear me? Okay. Now, in this, well, I have a couple more illustrations, but I'll skip them. Um, in this series, I'm going to, or we, there's, we're going to team teach it, we're going to introduce you to some things that you're familiar with and you really like. And we're going to introduce you to some things that you're familiar with and you really don't like. And we're going to introduce you to some things that you're unfamiliar with and you're going to like. And then we're going to introduce you to some things that you're unfamiliar with and you're not going to like. I promise you this. We will be an equal opportunity offender. Um, okay. My last comment before I get into the actual, this is an introduction. I know it's a long one, but I'm going to run because from here on, I'm going to be teaching rather than preaching. Um, we're going to approach the, this series and these various style stations not so much as a virtue, but as a discipline. Let me see if I can make the difference. So, uh, several weeks ago, I talked about giving. And giving is a virtue. God's a generous God. He wants us to be generous. Giving gets things accomplished in the kingdom, and being generous is a virtue. It's a good virtue. But in my message, if you remember, I tried to, to encourage you to think about your generosity, not so much as, as a virtue, but rather as a discipline. In other words, it's not about what can I accomplish through my giving out there, but rather in my act of giving, how does that position me so God can do this transformative work in me? That if the money God, if the covetousness is taking over, that one of the ways I, I crucify the money God is by being hilariously generous wherever. Okay, so we're going to, like, one of the ways Corey's going to introduce us to the way of the servant. That there are those whose spiritual type, their station is it's servanthood. And while all of us should serve, and it's really good to serve, we're not going to try to guilt you into serving. We're going to invite you into seeing an act of service as a way to position yourself before God for God to do a transformative work in you. And so my hope, I, I hope that you appreciate all these other ways and you're less, we are less judgmental, um, that we are more appreciative, but I'm convinced that if you will step into the ways that are unfamiliar to you, look in those windows you haven't looked in, you take time, not to, not to understand it, but to actually do it, that it is one of the most powerful ways to accelerate your own spiritual development. 
I have watched pastor after pastor after pastor all across the globe who took monumental steps in their own personal faith, who had been stagnant for years, going through the motions, but stagnant. And because they took a chance to think, well, maybe God's bigger than my understanding of him. And maybe saints that have gone before me have something to teach me, just maybe. They took a step into it. It got changed. Um, it's almost like we're going to give you six different um, uh, drinks that are intended to significantly improve your, your spiritual growth. And I promise you, none of them will hurt you. And one or two of them will accelerate your spiritual growth. The problem is, I don't know which one will accelerate for who. And so I'm going to invite you, I'm going to encourage you, between each message during the week, we're going to try to give you ways. Take a drink. Try to grow. Invest. Now, make sure I'm biblical, by all means. Make sure it's deeply rooted in the history of the church and the way God has done things. But, but get excited, folks. Because he wants to take you on a journey that's new and fresh and invigorating, maybe a little scary, for profound change. God wants you to be more like Jesus. And he wants to help position you, help you position yourself so that he can accomplish that. Am I making sense? You don't have to agree with me, but am I making sense? Okay. Okay, good. So if you took the inventory, you came away with something like this. Um, you had little dashes in different quadrants, and we're going to unpack those quadrants. You'll understand them. Uh, up in the, well, let me go over here. The upper right is one. This person has one mark, which means that's kind of their low thing. They don't really, they don't engage in that. Down the, the bottom right is four. That's, that's, they do that quite a bit. But a caddy corner to that, I mean, they're like seven. So four, that's, that's their, that's the station they love. And they have their speed thing on their, you know, for me, I have like four different talk radio things on my, on my dial because I just love talk radio. And when my wife gets in the car, she's like, okay, that's nice. You've had enough of that. Can we do some music? Um, because I'm, um, I'm actually a, a two. I, that's my preference. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so we're going to unpack what that means. And I hope you took it already because... Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to answer the question. You're going to, you're going to hear what I have to say. You're going to say, oh, I really want to be that. And then you're going to answer the question so that you're that. And you can do that, but it's not going to be nearly as beneficial. So hopefully you've taken it. If you haven't, there are some at the back. If you have it with you, try, just try to be honest with yourself. Tell your, and, yeah, okay. The other thing is these inventories, what they do, they, they, ne they never, inventories never give you your fingerprint. They give you a zip code. Okay. So it's not defining who you are. It's just trying to get you in the sphere that you might want to think about. Okay. So when you look at this, there's a, uh, a vertical axis up and down, and there's a horizontal. And the vertical is how we approach and know God. Some of us approach and know God through thinking. We do Bible study. We listen to sermons that unpack theological truths. Uh, we, we, we love orderly worship. Uh, our concern is orthodoxy, right thinking, and we just love 
that stuff up there, thinking. Down in the bottom, these are folks who approach God more through feeling. Okay? Um, these are the folks who say, yeah, that's great, you have all that thought. Why don't you just engage God? I mean, you can read a whole biography about me, and you will know less about me than if you take three days on a retreat and you sit around a fire. Because you just hang out with me, and, and you're going to learn things about me that aren't up here, they're down here. Some people approach God saying, no, I'm, I mean, I want to know. It's kind of like, uh, what does the Old Testament say? That Adam knew Eve, and out came Cain. I don't know if you followed that. <laughs> okay. Conservative enough, you don't want to laugh. I get it. Okay. That's good. Okay. The next one is a horizontal access. And this is how we conceptualize and experience God. Uh, this comes, I said before, from the work of Urban Homes. You can Google Urban Homes if you want to read um, History of Christian Spirituality. It's classic. Uh, and he uses big fancy words that even theologians don't know, cataphatic, apathetic, not very helpful. Um, and so Corinne Ware, who first made the inventory that you took, right, a United Methodist pastor, when, when she did it, she said, you know, those words aren't helpful. So she came up with her concrete and abstract. And quite frankly, I don't know if that's overly helpful for us either. So let me use more theological terms. Uh, the right side, the, or yeah, for you, the right side, the concrete. The identity of God is imminent. God is here. He's here. God is omnipresent. He lives in you. He's in the room. He's in the world. There's nowhere you go where he's not. In fact, the psalmist says, where can I go from you? If I go down to Sheol, if I go down to hell, there you are. There's nowhere I can go. God is omnipresent. And, and God is revealed. God is knowable. I, I can have a personal relationship because, because he's so knowable. We're created in the image of God, and my image connects with, with who he is, and we can know God. The other side of this is the transcendent. God is not his creation. That's the heresy of some who are overly imminent. God is other than his creation. God is high and lifted up. The Old Testament tells us, God says, speaks to us in the Old Testament, says, my ways, not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. I mean, who can know the mind of God? The Lord's Prayer covers both of these, by the way. Our Father, intimate, who are in, yeah, that he is wholly other. He is outside of his creation. That he existed before the creation ever existed. He's transcendent. He's a mystery. He's above and beyond. Anyone who thinks they have God figured out has no clue. He's so above and beyond. Okay, so that's kind of the grid. And then we're going to look at each quadrant, the head. Uh, the head loves uh, theological sermons that are theologically accurate. You know, pick a passage, unpack the passage, tell us, uh, well, this is not a verb, it's a participle, and why that matters. That kind of stuff. And they, I mean, they just get juiced about that. You know, someone who takes an Old Testament reality and, and helps us understand a New Testament concept. Um, I did a message, I don't know, about nine months ago, and I connected an uh, Old Testament prophet to the weird stuff that Jesus did, you know, a curse the fig tree. 
That's like a really weird one, you know? You curse the, why are you doing that? And, and I connected the two, and it's the only time a specific individual said, man, that was such a good message. Why? Because they're, 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 they're Catholics. They, they love that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, by the way, we're going to do communion because communion fits in every single one of these quadrants. Um, but we, each quadrant looks at it differently. And so for the head, they want to make sure you do it proper. Do it the right way. Okay? Uh, since this is Super Bowl Sunday, let me see if I can translate it into something you might understand. The head football person is the person who studies the playbook. They know their position. When we do an end sweep, they know the blocking assignment. They know to run around and do something over here that there is not where they are. And, and that stuff's important. It's critical. Okay, that's it. And by the way, someone, uh, Ryan, I think, is going to unpack the head in a whole message and give us ways to engage. If, if that's our preferred way, maybe you've learned one way to position yourself before God. Maybe there's a few, well, I guarantee you, there's a few you're not familiar with. Church is used, and boy, hopefully you're looking those windows. Okay, heart. Heart. Um, remember last week, Ryan, I, I actually loved it. Um, he made a, a distinction that it's really hard to take big concepts and say them in like one sentence and make it make sense. But he was distinguishing between modernity and post-modernity. You guys remember this? And in modernity, uh, truth is evidence-based. Post-modernity, truth is experience-based. And by the way, both are accurate ways of getting at truth. Both can be distorted when overemphasized. So the heart is much more experience-based. This is someone, so this, by the way, this is a category that I gravitate toward. I was at a, in a philosophy class at Messiah College as a student, and um, the professor, the chaplain, also professor, asked the question, most of my colleagues had been raised in the church. I was not raised in the church. Um, I was raised quite a pagan and lived like a pagan, uh, lived worse than a pagan, and it was in college that Jesus like flipped me on my head and radical transformation. I, I, I encountered him. It was amazing. And, and so I'm, I transferred from Penn State to Messiah College because God called me to study the Bible, and I didn't think Penn State was a good place to do that. And so when I got to Messiah, he asked the question, uh, what would it take for you to no longer believe in Jesus Christ? And I have to be honest, most of the students in my class were freshmen who had grown up in the church, and part of his goal was to pull them, these kids away from their parents' faith so that they could actually create, understand, be revealed their own faith. So what would it take? And it was interesting. Everyone kind of gave all these different answers. You know, show me the Bible's wrong, da 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 And he came to me, and I said, oh, man, um, to believe that God didn't exist, um, I guess God would have to tell me. My experience was so profound. I mean, you could tell me my wife doesn't exist, but let me tell you, she does. She's pretty cool. Experience-based. Uh, this is the football that I knew this before. If you're going to watch the Super Bowl tonight, you watch three minutes before the half, two minutes before the half, one minute before the half. All the commentators will be talking about momentum. Oh, you got to stop them. You want, you want to go with momentum into halftime. 
or you got a score, you could be way behind, and if you just do something really good at the end, you create momentum because momentum matters. Your your heart, what's going on here, it draws you. By the way, here's here's one of these, and I'll sit with other stuff. But how many think we should be laborers for God? Only four people. Ryan, we're in trouble. You know what a blessing here is? In May, I get to leave. You're in trouble. Okay, so God wants laborers. How many think God wants lovers? Okay, there's a few more. So here's my take, um, because I'm a heart guy. Um, God really loves lovers because lovers labor better than laborers labor. So the heart person says, you, you know the passage, um, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Yeah, so the quadrant four, we'll get to it. They say, yeah, you, you say you love God? So start obeying. Do it. I mean, obey. Do it. And the hard people say, you love God and you will obey his commands. And when you fall in love with someone, when you love someone, when you're, when you're connected to them, you, can't, you just want to please God. You want to do it. Okay, so football, they're the momentum folks. You get that. Next one, this is the one that my guess is a lot of you are unfamiliar with. Um, we're granting Kent the privilege of introducing us to it next week. Um, uh, it's going to be weird. <laughs> By the way, before I go there, let me, let me say this, that communion actually fits in the mystical category better than any of them. It fits in all of them. But communion is, is a symbolic act that, that, that engages smell and touch and taste, engages your whole body. Uh, Marissa led us in a song on let incense rise. That's a biblical metaphor. In fact, it's not just a biblical metaphor, it's a biblical practice. So I noticed when, when it said, you know, lift up hands, that four of us did. Um, we're saying, I lift up hands, and four of us did. Um, the heart people love that because it's full body engaged. Um, the mystical, we say, where's the incense? Where's the incense? I mean, let's, let's obey God, and let's do it. Um, I know you're already being weirded out. So, you know, some people say you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. The mystic is the one who says, no, 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 no. You're so earthly-minded, you're no heavenly good. By the way, those who want to judge the mystic, please do realize that the preservation of our scriptures, God used the monastic movement to do it. It was mystical monks who sat around and prayed a lot who copied the scriptures over and over and over and over again that allowed us to preserve the scriptures. Now, I'm sure God would have found another way to do it, but he chose the mystical tradition. Uh, here's another one. Most, usually it's the head people that really have a problem with the mystics. So your heroes, folks, your, you head folks, your heroes, Augustine, <laughs> you know where he came from, right? You know he was a monk. You know, in fact, he didn't want to move into any kind of church leadership. No, 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 no. Let me just stay and pray. And his years of mystical experience empowered him to be able to 
checked into the world in a profound way. I'll give you another one. Reformation. You guys like the Reformation? Martin Luther. Monk. But Martin Luther, the first time he did communion, he was so afraid of the presence of God in the host that he dropped it. So our great head people come out of a deep sense of this tradition. Uh, this one's a little harder to do the football analogy, but it might be this is the watching of the tape sessions. So you watch those tape sessions, and it's a part of it you analyze it, but at some point you just watch and watch and watch and watch and watch, and you begin to pick up things you can't even identify. And you're out on the field in the moment, and someone makes a twitch, and you go, they're going there. And you didn't, you didn't figure it out cognitively. You just absorbed it because you spent so much time with this, with this piece. Can't really say a whole lot more about it. I, by the way, I now am I'm profoundly attracted to it. It's the place where I've met God most profoundly in the last 10 years. Still a little weird. But God is good. Okay. And all the time. Okay, next one's the servant. Uh, the servant, uh, they're the ones that say, okay, when you're done preaching, done praying, done fellowshipping, done doing all that stuff, can we go do something for God? Uh, those of you that, by the way, loved our service that we did when we served Watts, the homeless, we came in here, we were standing among all the beds where people were sleeping, and, and we, we sang for a little bit, and we taught for a little bit, and the whole purpose of that was to get us to go actually do things for the homeless. If you loved that, just maybe you love this piece. That might be one of the ways. These folks often, they're the ones that get really frustrated with people that, that it's like, would you just get out and do something for God? I have a really good friend who's in this category. He didn't know it at the time. He had a Bible study, and uh, he's in his 20s. By the way, I shouldn't say that. Um, he was in his 20s. And uh, he's in the Bible study, he's leading, and he says, okay, instead of our normal study, let's do this. I want everyone to share what is your vision for what God wants to do in and through you for the next five years. And so each person is sharing, you know, how they were going to engage in the kingdom of God and make a difference. And, and this one guy in his study, nice guy, said, well, uh, my vision for the next five years is to, is to double my business so my tithe is twice as much. And Mark looked at him and said, that's stupid. Why don't you just give 20% and give and do something for God? Didn't go over well. That's the servant. Let's just get out there and do something for God. Let's, the hands and feet of Jesus. They love that for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, Urban Holmes came up with the four, and after rolling it out and doing it for a long time, he discovered that really there were two more. And I'm only going to say a little bit about each one of these. But the pilgrim is the one who's, uh, who's very practical. They want whatever we do here to affect my walk in a day-to-day -day basis. They love doing new things and trying new things that begin to work. Um, I'm going to spill the beans a little bit. Your other pastor, he tests out really high in the pilgrim. Which doesn't surprise me because he likes being an executive pastor. He likes being a pastor. He likes playing the drums. He played guitar this morning. He actually did the video thing. I mean, you know, doing many, many things and just kind of do, doing it kind of well. He's, he's not like amazing at any one of them, but he's good at all of them. 
<laughs> Pilgrims will probably like this series. You'll probably like it. In fact, I propose doing this in July when I come back. So I'm going to be gone and back and then gone and then back. And I said, well, we didn't have anything for Lent. Why don't we do it over Lent? Okay. Well, that's a pilgrim topic. They just, that's what they like to do. Uh, the, by the way, the, the pilgrim in the football context might be the free agent. Uh, pilgrims make great church planters. There's actually not, usually not a lot of pilgrims, although I did this one time for a whole bunch of church planters, and like 80% of them were pilgrims. Uh, they also, pilgrims also tend to be church hoppers. People after two, three years, like, okay, I got enough out of that. Let me go get something somewhere else. Because it's about my growth and my experience and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, crusader, that's the last one. And uh, this is someone who's, who's super focused on a thing. This is someone who has heard a strong call from God about something. And they are going to invest their whole being in seeing it happen for the glory of God. Crusaders tend to be a bit myopic. Um, they tend to be impatient. They're the ones that, that think you're backslidden because you're not participating in whatever their crusade is. Um, I can give you a bunch of examples, but whatever one I give you is going to send someone. So I'll save that for the person who talks about crusading. We'll let them do it. Uh, but in this one, um, and Marissa's going to like this, the football analogy, I just read an article. How many know who Larry Zonka? So how come I get more hands for Larry Zonka than anything spiritual? Wow. So, 72, uh, Miami Dolphins, only undefeated season. Larry Zonka was a power back. And they were asking this interview about power backs. And he made the comment that, you know, there really are no power backs today. Because a power back, he said, in my day, we think, today, we think a power back is one who just keeps punishing. Just keeps punishing. And, you know, they're the one by the fourth quarter. Now they're running through everyone. The first three quarters, they're getting tackled. But, the, but by that, these guys are wore, wore out and they're, they're powering through. He said, so, you know, we think of power backs as, as just punishing. He said, in my day, we designed plays to seek out punishing the person. And then he said, the only team that maybe does that are the Eagles. Uh, one amen from Marissa, first time. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I think you get it. Okay, so let me run through these really quick, and then we're going to end. So the head, study of Scripture Central. Worship is and education in the church is important. God can be known. Faith is rational. By the way, if anybody wants these slides, just email me. Or email the office, and, and April will get it to me. I'm happy to provide them. Um, faith is rational. The Christian life has practical benefits. The heart. This is focused on a relationship with Jesus. I love him. Faith sharing becomes essential. It's kind of like a good friend of mine one time said, she's brand new to faith, and someone jumped all over her because she was talking about Jesus so much, and she was embarrassed by it. And then she just she said, why do you talk about Jesus so much? She said, I don't know, don't. Don't you love talking about the things you love? That's a heart person. There's a strong commitment to praying for others. Experience. 
rather than study, is the preferred way for knowing God. There's a praise orientation. They would rather know their scriptures from the songs they sing than the studies that they do. Okay. Mystic. Focuses on the mystery of God. He's bigger. He's just so much more. Prayer and meditation are central. While the head and the heart want to talk to God, the mystic says, would you be quiet long enough to just listen? Sometimes the only way you'll ever really progress is if you take time and listen. These are the folks who love solitude. They love silence. I'll tell you a, a short story. Um, <laughs> no, I won't. I'll tell you later. Okay. Retreat, renewal becomes really important. These folks love retreat. God is listened for. Uh, these are the folks that will step into a, uh, spiritual development as a goal. Um, the servant. People should be doers, not hearers. By the way, that's a biblical thing. Okay. Um, and, but I, I do think it's actually not just hearers. Uh, outlook is anti-institutional. Uh, they often get sick and tired of the church. They're the ones that love parachurch because parachurch is all about this thing. So many people focused in the parachurch movement are, they come out of this servant background. They get tired of all the stuff the church wants to do. So they just want to get about this thing. Uh, God is uh, unknowable. Christianity means acting like Jesus. Golden rule, greatest commandment to find the faith. Prayer becomes almost secondary. By the way, I, I've been tempted into this place, and I have to learn to embrace it more. My, any, any of you guys know those uh, five languages of love? Yeah. Um, so we, my wife and I were reading through it a long time ago, and we had three little kids, and so we were talking about uh, with, with uh, Josiah, what do you think his love language is? And we both nailed it. What about Catherine? We both nailed it. What about Jackie? We both nailed it. And I asked my wife, what's your love language? And I was actually not in the room. I'm outside the room, and she's, I think, washing dishes. She said, um, acts of service. And I said, what's your second love language? <laughs> okay, you get it. Pilgrim, person who seeks meaning, they look for answers, openness to a wide variety of faith traditions. They accept what makes sense. By the way, the mystics like, what? Faith formation is a process, a journey. You notice Marissa coming if um, the communion folks can come as we prepare for communion. Crusader, person feels single-minded devotion to the call. All time, energy, resources are committed to success. Spiritual disciplines just provide focus for the cause. Christian community is around like-minded crusaders, people who agree with them. Now, most of you will not be one, but you'll be strong in some and weak in others. Just remember, if you're new to the faith, by all means, engage in the one that is your primary and find new ways to do that. Position yourself for profound transformation. If you've been around for a while, take a risk and step into the one that is uncomfortable for you, outside your comfort zone, because therein lies your potential for the greatest accelerated growth in your life over these next seven weeks. Okay. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
He took bread. The bread of a Passover meal in the context of a meal. A meal that was ordered by God for all time. He picked up that bread and he broke it. He gave brand new meaning. He said, this broken bread, this is my body. Because you're going to watch my body. Broken. But it's broken for you. Then he encouraged us to take and eat. Engage, sight, smell, sound, taste. Then with the cup. Same thing. There are actually four cups in the Passover meal. He took one of them. And he gave it brand new meaning. He said, this is my blood. My blood shed for you for the remission of sins. You don't have to be beaten down by the old person anymore. You can start fresh. Your sins can be wiped away. Because you're going to see my blood shed. So thank you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here at Canvas Community, we practice 